smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast hello everyone and welcome back to why not mint money i'm shipra from mint's personal finance team the start of 2023 marks a decade of sebi's rules on registered investment advisors or ris to commemorate this landmark mint has been speaking to ris who have completed or are nearing a decade in the profession to understand their investment philosophy. For today's episode, founders of Peak Alpha Investment Services, Priya Sundar and Sham Sundar have joined me. Hi. Welcome to Why Not Mint Money, a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey. Hi Priya, hello Sham, welcome to Why Not Mint Money. Um, Hi, thank you, Shukla. Happy to New be Year here. to you both. Thank you for inviting us. Happy New Year yeah, to you. Yeah, wish you the same. Hope you and Mint have a wonderful year. Yes, definitely. I wonder if there's an expiration date to this, though. When do people stop wishing that? <laughs> <laughs> I think we. I think we can continue for the entire January and then. I think, <laughs> <stop>. <laughs> so I think when you start before. writing 2022 yeah. rather than 2023. Uh, when you're writing the dates, I think that's the point when you're home and drive. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So um, let's start with the you know the <clears throat> conversation around your journey of uh, being an RIA. RIA. So when did you register as an RIA, and uh, what was your career like before that? Um, so we got registered as RIAs, uh, you know, in February 2017. um so it's been a few years now since we've had the ri license um so sham and i have had uh, you know interesting careers uh before we started our uh, company peak alpha investments which we started in 2005 so um i sham and i both uh, have got our education abroad we i graduated from northwestern university with a masters uh sham got his mba from the wharton business school at the university of pennsylvania uh so we both uh, worked um uh for several years uh, with uh, other companies sham was with uh, a management consultant with accenture and i was working with a law firm um we moved back to india uh, in 2003 and uh, uh, we worked for different organizations here uh, for a few years uh, sham did and i continued to work with the same organization and then we both quit our jobs uh, in 2005 and we started peak alpha so uh, uh so it's been like about 18 years now since coming up to 18 years since we started the company but clearly from very very different backgrounds uh, into something that we were uh, quite unfamiliar with uh, but very glad to have started this journey and uh, last 18 years has proven that i think at the time what was considered uh, perceived to be a risky decision to start a business when you know we had just moved back to india kids were young Uh, sort of give up, give up our uh, jobs to right. do something like this. Uh, I think uh, over time we've been able to convince our parents that <laughs> to right. stop worrying about us, and we made the, the right decision. And uh, we, you know, there are five thousand clients that uh, we service, roughly thousand of which a uh, thousand are families. And uh, so I think we've been able to uh, build a fairly decent practice over the years. And Right. Uh, help many families and individuals achieve financial independence. So that's how it's been. Quite nice. As you mentioned, Priya, that you both come from very different backgrounds. You were, you know, you were with a law firm, and uh, Sham was with a consulting firm. 
So what prompted you to get into this field? Was it through a personal experience or something else? Um, yes, um, I would say a personal experience. Um, we came back to India um, looking for someone to help us manage our money. And uh, uh, like most people would do in our situation, uh, we approached uh, a bank, uh, a multinational bank at that point of time. And then the advice that we got um, left a lot to be desired. In fact, it wasn't the right advice at all. And uh, a year and a half into that relationship, we realized that uh, the quality of advice was very poor and our money really wasn't working for us. And that's when we started to ask questions around us uh, to family and friends and in, in terms of how they were managing their money. And that the experience seems to be seemed to be also kind of similar that they didn't have uh, anyone, anyone they could really, um, uh, you know, trust with their money, but they went with the advice that they got. So that sort of got us thinking that, uh, you know, if, you know, uh, we could have gotten sold the kind of products that we were sold and, uh, you know, what would be, and we, of course, had at least some experience in the industry because uh, Sham was with Capital Markets and uh, you know I worked with a law firm where I dealt with clients in different areas of investment banking. So it was uh, it, it it left a sort of a bitter taste in the mouth that people didn't really get very high quality advice. And that's where we thought that um, we could start something and make a difference. So yeah, so the, that, those were the reasons why we started the company. Right. What were the kind of products that were uh, sold to you that you realized were not really fit for your, uh, you know, your your profile. There were insurance products that were sold right. to us that really didn't fit our uh, risk uh, and return profile. Mm. I think not a lot of analysis was done in that area before this was recommended. It, it felt like it was uh, something that was pushed to us to really uh, serve somebody else's purpose, not ours. Right. So yeah, it did feel. On the topic like of insurance, you know, before we move forward, uh, do you think it's still a problem when new clients come to you? Um, are you talking about all forms of insurance or just this any particular form of insurance? You know, the traditional plans, insurance plus investment plans. Yeah, the endowments? Okay. Yeah, endowments. Um, well, we don't really recommend uh, too many endowment products. Hmm. But for a profile, it does make sense if it's you know, perhaps sold to someone who doesn't need, uh, if it's sold to someone who doesn't need insurance, then it's a problem. But if it's sold to someone who, you know, needs insurance and requires something which has a bit of a guarantee, looking for a tax free return, then it is fine. So I think it's important in conversations to um, to realize uh, that there is a need for nuance. So if a product uh, was fundamentally a bad product, uh, you know, the regulation would have taken the product off the shelf, off the shelves. But the fact that, you know, insurance companies offer an endowment plan or a ULIP plan or a term plan, etc. is a recognition that different people need different things. Uh, right. So people are not silly or stupid that, you know, because it's offered it and it's sold, you know, they have to buy it. So fundamentally, an endowment plan is nothing but, you know, a combination of a term plan and a fixed deposit. So just like a ULIP is a combination of a term plan and a mutual fund. So right. there are people who need these products. And if you have a portfolio, for example, that is overexposed to equity, you don't want to add risk in your portfolio, but you do want that combination of a term plan, which is like an insurance plus a fixed deposit like a product yeah. that, you know, comes to you kind of maybe tax free at maturity. Then it is attractive to a certain profile of people. So I would say that, you know, a proper analysis has to be done to figure out what is the need and what is the requirement that you have mm. and recommend a product that suits your profile. Then it's fine. 
problem arises when that's not done and you're sold something that doesn't suit the profile your profile as you know one of my previous managers used to say that no matter how how much you know how critical things we write of endowment plans the uh, you know the matter of fact is that endowment plans have actually helped people achieve their long term goals because of the discipline that it sets in compared to a mutual fund or any other investment product perhaps yeah people have a longer term view when it comes to insurance and they yeah. tend not to discontinue it so that's certainly a, a fact so like i said it, it, it there are products that are made for different profiles and if it suits your profile it's fine so it can't be called a good or a bad product uh, right. that's my perspective right um so priya you said that you registered as an ria in 2017 right yes so before that did you practice investment advisory in some other form or did you directly start as an ria in 2017 sham do you want to take this question um sure so shipra in 2017 we got registered as an ria but right from the get go when we started peak alpha in 2005 uh we wanted to offer the combination of integrity of advice followed by strong execution so um financial advice or holistic financial advice as we'd like to call it was at the core of what we were offering all the way from 2005 so it was always very clear to us that without understanding the customer and the customer's background the context and what they wanted to achieve in life you couldn't really give them the best or the correct advice so right from 2005 we were practicing financial planning as a way to thoroughly understand who the customer was what the customer wanted and where they wanted to go in life and what was the role that money had to play in helping them to achieve that goal uh so right from the beginning it was always financial planning as the way to reach um a customer's objectives and goals so we had our own technology that we had built to help us offer this financial planning as a service um so the advisory part was very very important to us in fact i would say that is the most important part of how we engage with our customers but supported by strong you know execution and customer service and all of those things so that's been how we set up the company and that continues to be the way we go to uh market and serve our customers right so so you have seen the before and after of uh, you know when <laughs> we introduced uh, the the concept of rias which was in 2013 so um how would you say has the financial advisory landscape changed since then you know how it was before the regulations came in and how it is now absolutely shifra i mean at mint you've been so the key monitors of this space for a long time now so the changes have been dramatic haven't they um i would say that when we got started in 2005 there were broadly speaking you know three types of customers and three types in which advice was given one was a very very small percentage of people who were self directed as in they knew what they wanted to do and they would go about getting that done as well as a lot of people who were self directed because they didn't know any better so broadly speaking you know if there was one pool of people who were self directed which means they didn't seek advice from anybody else i would say 90% of them were self directed because of lack of awareness and 10% of them were self directed because they knew what they were doing and then there was a whole lot of incidental advice that people were getting 
from various kinds of product distributors and product providers. Um, and the third, of course, is a small group of holistic financial advisors and financial planners whom we joined in 2005. So if you like, the financial advisory landscape comprised of three types of uh, relationships between customers and service providers. And the nice thing that has happened over the past many years is that the number of holistic financial advisors has grown. You know, organizations like ARIA have uh, led the movement in terms of bringing on greater depth in terms of holistic financial advice. Right. Um, incidental advice as part of product distribution continues and continues quite strongly. Uh, where, you know, people who are recommending mutual funds as mutual fund distributors provide advice in order to enable that purchase of the mutual fund. So broadly speaking, that is the landscape and the change in the landscape has been that advice itself has become deeper and broader. Right. Um, but if you think about the issues faced by customers over this period, um, the, the, the fundamental reason for issues that customers face kind of all stem from lack of awareness or lack of knowledge of the products in the markets. Right. And, you know, some of the reasons for that lack of awareness or how that lack of awareness manifests itself is people end up having one very conservative portfolios. The portfolios that struggle to beat inflation, often with a heavy dose of fixed deposits in the portfolio. And at a time where inflation runs at five and a half, six, six and a half, um, the ability for those portfolios to beat inflation meaningfully in the long run becomes compromised. The second is due to behavioral reasons, you tend to find mar market timing being adverse. So people would like to buy low and sell high, but end up buying high and selling low, mm. mainly because greed and fear kick in. And uh, they end up timing the market, but timing the market exactly opposite to what they would like to do. And finally, the third being the misalignment of products. So basically, the products that they buy are not suitable to their own personal situation. So the lack of awareness translates into these three things, conservative portfolios, adverse market timing, and lack of alignment between products and personal situation. And unfortunately, accompanied by all of this, you know, we've had, hopefully, to a reduced extent now, the mis-selling that used to happen because you have aggressive organizations with aggressive targets leading to workforces or relationship teams that were very aggressive in pursuing their targets and not therefore making sure that the alignment was strong between the product and the customer's personal situation. So uh, these were really the issues that were faced by customers and they continue to be there, unfortunately. But hopefully as awareness increases, as you know, there is greater depth in financial advice being available through various channels, right. things have started getting better and hopefully will continue to do that. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk a little more about, uh, you know, your journey as an RIA. Um, why don't you tell me a little, why don't you tell our listeners a little about your, you know, your first client and your first year of practice? Um, so let me take that one. Um, so. You know, when we started uh, you know, Peak Alpha in 2005, um, like I said, you know, for us, everything was new. The city was new. Uh, the business was new. Uh, we, we didn't really have a network of, uh, you know, uh, of clients or anybody that we could uh, 
sort of rely on to kickstart the business so for us it was important to to really um, you know have a strategy where we could sort of get clients by the busload really uh, so our main go to start marketing strategy was to conduct you know investor awareness sessions or uh, iaps as they call them you know, today uh, workshops where we could create awareness around financial uh, you know products and financial planning but having said that you know we had started the <laughs> operations on uh, in april 2005 and we needed to really you know start with uh, you know getting clients quickly so i think the first thing that we did was to really depend on uh, our family and i would say that our first client was really a family member uh, who thankfully placed a trust on us and uh, you know got us started off with the first investment uh, continues to of course be our client uh, so it really was to to reach out to the low hanging fruit which is to reach out to uh, family and friends and uh, then simultaneously also do these uh, workshops across different organizations where we could you know gather a lot more clients so i would say that's how that started um and yeah that was our first client who uh, 18 years ago <laughs> got us uh, our first check and uh, investment check and then uh, continues to be the client we are clients even today Right. Uh, in terms of the first year of practice, yeah. like Sham mentioned, um, so we were very focused on giving the right advice to customers because we came off that experience where it was not provided to us. So we really spent um, nearly the first six to eight months creating a financial planning advisory diagnostic platform that would enable us to provide the right advice, and products would really come at the end of that. diagnosis uh, it really was a means to an end and not an end in itself uh, so uh, it it took us a lot of time to, to come up with that you know it was at that point of time it was a probably a 10 15 page excel spreadsheet <laughs> that came together uh, in terms of providing the right financial uh, 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 pla- uh, financial planning platform in terms of you know what your income expenses were what should be the right tax allocation mm-hmm. um, you know taxation so on and so forth so so many different things that we addressed and then at the end of it would be okay this is what you need um, and so then investment products would be recommended only after the end of that diagnosis so it, that's how it started off because we were very clear that it is not going to be a product push approach at all it be have to recommend products only after the you know the diagnosis was done so we did spend a lot of time coming up with the financial planning uh, application which eventually you know became a software uh, a web based application and also uh, we have a mobile app right now but just to give you a glimpse of how even though we had started the company it was important from the get go that we would not just start selling products hmm. they would have to be a proper analysis done before even the first product was recommended so yes so that's how we began so that's how the first year was okay. and uh, it really was about you know spreading awareness and making sure that we had the right tools to be able to give the advice right shipra if i could just add one thing to that right. so um while we were committed to you know advice based um you know products Uh, and enable enabling customers the other thing that we were very very clear from the get go was that it had to be on the basis of long term relationships with our clients so even in our first year we would commit with our customers that would be, we would meet them every quarter which meant that our advice had to stand the test of time and it also meant that whether 3 months later or 3 years later whatever we chose to advise our customers we would have to be able to defend 
in a future review. So we had committed to quarterly reviews with our customers. And this was a very important aspect of how we built our relationships with our clients and how we built our business from there. Right. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little about, you know, your regrets and some of your proud uh, memories of uh, serving clients. So let's start with the proudest memory that you have of serving a client. Um, Like I mentioned here, the stories uh, about women, I think those are the ones that I would probably remember uh, the most because, like I said, they come to us at at very, very uh, stressful times of their lives. And this particular case that I remember is about a woman who, uh, you know, is going through a divorce and typically the the mind frame at that point of time is to really exit the marriage as quickly because they are, it's so stressful for them that, you know, whatever it is that uh, is being sort of decided as a, as a settlement, uh, we're happy to take that and then move on. But to help them think through the numbers to figure out whether that's a fair, it's a fair settlement, whether it's the right amount, is it going to stretch you for the rest of your life? Um, is, uh, is there equity in what has been settled? All of that is something that they haven't thought through because... All they want to do is get out of that situation then move on. And uh, so with this particular case, I think a certain uh, amount was being decided in terms of a settlement. And when we ran the numbers through, which is woefully inadequate, it just wouldn't uh, last her even for the next you know few years. So uh, we ran the numbers, put out various different scenarios. I think that she shared with um, her lawyers and then uh, uh, her husband at that point of time. And then at, what actually got settled was... Uh, the numbers made sense and what got settled was nearly seven times that original proposed amount. So I think, you know, that situation wouldn't have happened um, without our intervention. Where we said, you know, let it stretch the divorce for you know a few months. It's okay. It doesn't have to settle right now. But you get one shot at it and you better get it right. And so let's make sure that, you know, you get what is rightfully owed to you. And so that, uh, I think, uh, was an outcome that, you're very happy with and so was the client and uh, and it, it made sure that she was going to be okay for the rest of her life and uh, you know also conversely there was a situation where we envisage a certain amount uh, of settlement to happen but what actually got settled was a much uh, smaller amount for whatever reason and in that situation also we managed the portfolio in such a way so that you know that deficit of what should have been uh, you know uh, uh, given to her we the portfolio performance and so still made sure that even though um, it was lesser than what was expected, we still made sure that the portfolio performed well enough so that we covered that deficit. So those are situations that give us a lot of joy uh, because it, these are transformational, they're life-changing for people. And uh, I think that's what we are here for, to make sure that whatever your dreams and aspirations are and your goals are, you want to make sure they happen no matter what. Right. So that's one thing in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, the highs for us. Um, in terms of the regrets, I would say um, probably the credit risk funds. Um, you know, several funds uh, which got bundled as credit risk funds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know started with the, the Amtec Auto debacle in 2015. Then, of course, 2018 there was uh, ILNFS issue. Um, 2019 there was DHFL. So it really was you know we came from a situation where these funds were sort of giving you know providing double-digit returns. Um, to a situation where, um, you know, in 2014, 2015, 2016, uh, these returns were very good from these funds. Um, And they actually had a place um, in clients' portfolios with acceptable levels of risk and return, uh, a trade-off. 
but i think after the airfield crisis hit uh, there was a certain cascading effect and domino effect uh, you know portfolios there was a liquidity crisis uh, monies were getting frozen by the creation of segregated portfolios um, as we all know a particular fund house closed six uh, schemes also right. so it caused a lot of stress um, you know for us and for our clients and that is something that uh, it wasn't it was very unpleasant to go through that whole situation uh, in 2020 so i think that would have been probably the regret that um you know even uh, some of these uh, uh funds which had credit risk was actually uh they formed a part of very short term portfolios like low duration funds also uh, so i think subsequently the regulations changed and it's, it's much better right now but the fact that that whole liquidity crisis hit um and of course it had uh, a big impact on credit risk funds was something that you know wasn't certainly wasn't a pleasant experience in 2020 so what would you say is the hardest part of being an advisor you know even after so many years <laughs> <laughs> so um i think the difficulty of being an advisor uh, is the same throughout whether you're an advisor to the prime minister of the country um, <laughs> or, or you're a consultant to a big infrastructure project or you're advisor financial advisor to a client i think um when you're an advisor there's always a challenge that you uh that your advice is received it is processed <clears throat> and then it's actioned on um but often there's a gap between advice given and the action taken uh and that's a frustrating thing to any advisor uh and for advisors like us when advice is given and not really implemented uh it really causes a lot of frustration because we give it with a lot of passion we give it with the well-being of the client at hand but there is no point of that advice being given if you don't act on it um so so yeah when we realized that you know that the client would have been much better off had he or she followed that advice through um rather than not is what causes i think the highest level of frustration for us right right uh so priya i just have one last question to ask but we've run out of time we just have one minute sure. so okay uh, Should I send a fresh link, or do you want to maybe record it at your end over WhatsApp or something, and then send it to me? How do no, you, why um, don't you send us some fresh link? We can just do it and wrap it up. Okay, sure. Let me just give me two minutes. I'll just send a fresh link. What would you say is a common financial mistake that investors make? Um, Sham, you want to take that one? Sure. So, unfortunately, I think the the list of mistakes that clients make are uh, quite. quite long but i would say that the mistake that um in our opinion is perhaps the one of greatest significance is what i referred to earlier which is the misalignment between the actions they take and their own personal situation so um buying the wrong kind of product uh <laughs> for as we spoken earlier you know so one could be buying the wrong kind of product which is they needed a term plan but they ended up buying a much more expensive variant of insurance mm-hmm. or they needed to invest safely but they instead invest in crypto um or they needed to invest to grow their portfolios meaningfully but ended up building a portfolio that is completely conservative and therefore leave them at the risk of running out of money much more much before the end of their lives so i think all of these are because they don't have the broader context which someone like us tries to provide 
which is this is where you are now and the next 30 40 50 years of your life this is what you're likely to go through mm. and this is where you want to end up and therefore all the decisions that you take should be taken keeping that in mind um in the absence of that context of hey this is where i am this is where i need to get to and this is the road to getting there people end up making all of the mistakes that i talked about so to me usually mistakes are due to lack of awareness or lack of context right so either they don't have the awareness about the various products and uh, what is likely to happen in the markets or they don't have the context in which they are looking to make their decisions which lead to all the mistakes that i talked about earlier right um uh, do you guys also take your own advice the client the advice that you give to your clients um i mean yes uh, <laughs> see um, the fundamental principle and principles on the tenets of how to manage your money such as uh, asset allocation diversification you know making your money work hard for you um you know all these are things that we do because it's what we've been you know doing for our clients and we certainly apply those principles to our personal finance as well um so once you know the right way of doing things it's very hard to do it the wrong way shipra so yeah <laughs> so absolutely we take our own advice there's, there's no two ways about that right right uh what is your current uh, <clears throat> client size and uh, you know asset under management so to say So, so in terms of the numbers uh, shipra we were like i said you know since inception we worked with about 5000 in you know customers and helped them we have like i said our model of working with customers is using financial planning uh, as a structured way to work and there we work with more than 1000 families uh, and in overall we manage assets of about 1350 crores for our customers so in terms of size hopefully that gives you a feel for right. our size we have a team of about 35 people including um 12 financial advisors that collectively work with and assist and handhold all of these customers in their financial journey right <clears throat> do you have any succession plan for your business um we spend a lot of our effort and time in training so you know when we look at our teams typically about 10% of their typical work week is spent in training mm. and this is a very wide range of training that we give our team and uh, that really is our succession plan we are hoping that uh, one day priya and i can meaningfully step back from the business and have the company per along just as well as it is today uh because our fantastic team is taking care of our clients exactly the same way as they are doing today so that really is our succession plan uh right. we when we set up the company we didn't want to be a small boutique we did want to be a company of some size and right. uh that has been one of the greatest joys of our journey as well to see some very talented young people join the company and some of them have been with us for more than a decade and they very much are our leadership team and are looking to join um us side by side as we look to take the the team forward and the company forward over the next 10 years right like wonderful okay so that brings us to the last question of um, you know of our chat um a lot has changed in the investment advisory space you know especially with the introduction of rias 
but of course there is always space for change more change so uh, according to you uh, what are the you know any sebi regulations that need to be changed um i think sebi has done a wonderful job in the changes that they've brought about already hmm. which have definitely over the past 10 years made investing a much better place for clients such as one the introduction of the rra regulations which made it more different for someone to call themselves a financial planner you needed to have certain qualities certain standards certain net worth and so on so you know there's been a whole series of regulations that have come about that have definitely improved the uh, landscape for investing such as product labeling tr rationalization so things are much better than where they are where, where they were about 10 years ago but um as we've already shared so far shikra we think that uh, ras shouldn't um, really be focused on helping 1 2 3 5 10 20 families the need for advice is extremely widespread and extremely painfully felt because we all go through our educational process not really learning much about how to manage money mm. and so advice really needs to be able to reach a very wide audience and the demand for that certainly is there so our only request from sebi in terms of uh, this is you know we want to be uh leading the charge in terms of democratization of advice hmm. which is making advice available to everybody who needs it and but today the the process for ensuring that every advisor is able to provide advice the bar is set quite high in that you know the the exams have to be taken every um 3 years um even if you clear it you have to take it again 3 years later um you need to have certain qualifications that are set quite high before you can be an advisor with a firm like the alpha um so if we are held accountable as an organization to ensure that advice provided is high quality and strong and the principal officer stands behind that mm. one thing that will really help us to go from 10 advisors to 100 advisors to 500 advisors really is to you know ensure that more and more people can join our industry as advisors and be held accountable to a good standard but not so high that it proves to be very very difficult to scale the proposition so this right. is our only humble request which is right. hold the organization accountable for the quality of advice but allow us greater flexibility in terms of the employees that we can bring on board as advisors because then Mm-hmm. I can tell you that every RIA organization will do all they can to try and provide their advice to as many people as possible. I think this is yeah. uh, one common pain point that all the RIAs we've spoken to for this series have, you know, uh, expressed. Uh, yeah, Priya, you were no, saying. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, I just had like one more point to add. Mm. Um, so, you know, in adding to what Sham said, we must be able to. imagine a financial advisory company that perhaps employs you know a thousand advisors right um, and or is it the regulators uh, vision that you know rias must only be like a 10 to 15 people shop um, is there a path that the regulator sees that you know pan india a financial advisory and ria company can be across you know 30 35 cities 
they can be 300 to 500 advisors you know that vision to be enacted requires some dilution of the current standards i also feel like um, you know the, like sham said the process of offering financial advice is a little bit difficult because the commercials don't really stack up if you look at it you know we want to provide good high quality financial advice to the mass affluent right so for someone who's earning like maybe a let's say a 10 lakh uh, income annual income it becomes very difficult to offer this high quality advice because if i am to employ you know postgraduate who has all of those years of experience um, who's passed all these exams and everything that price point is quite high also so for me to have a team that is a very high quality team and there's a certain commercial attributed to that standard of a quality of the team and then to be able to take that very high quality advice you would need to be able to offer that advice then to hnis because then it would make commercial sense but we don't we want to take it to the mass affluent to the middle class so there's a mismatch there in terms of you know what it costs to offer great good quality advice and what are the you know what are the benefits what is the cost benefit of it so there's a bit of a mismatch there so like i said a dilution of some of the standards would should enable us to scale and make it more widely available to most people so right that thing those would be our humble submissions uh, to study Yeah. right right um okay so that uh, brings us to the end of our conversation uh, thanks a lot for joining me today priya and uh, sham it was really wonderful catching up with you both uh, thank you thank you very much thank you so much priya you're most welcome to you know mint is our favorite newspaper and please <laughs> continue doing the outstanding work that you guys do um yes, thank and you. we wish you a terrific year yeah Thank you thank you thank you bye bye that brings us to the end of today's episode if you would like to know more about this topic or make a suggestion of a personal finance topic that you would like us to cover i can be reached at twitter under the username of shipra singh sorath and on linkedin at shipra singh thank you for tuning in see you in the next episode This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.